Welcome to Worker Movement, a podcast dedicated to the working class, a podcast dedicated to raising class consciousness. This podcast is for you, for us, for the worker. We tend to use a common vocabulary when talking about class conflict. The general concept hasn't changed, but some of the terminology is a bit antiquated, and I can't say French words. We'll define the terms we use and relate them to their historical counterparts while presenting our own model of the two classes. It has to be said that there are just two classes, literally two classes, and anything else is a subdivision we'll talk about later, but it's just two classes. There's the working class and the ruling class. And this is the correct messaging that should take place. This is exactly what needs to be said. This is how you should refer to everything in your life, which is the working class, which you belong to, and the ruling class, which you do not belong to. That's that's the divisions. If you exchange your labor, making you a laborer or worker, for money, and whatever means that is, if you exchange labor to live, you are a worker. If you don't, you are part of the ruling class, meaning if you own money and you own the means of production, so you own the businesses, you own the companies, you own the stocks, you own all the ownership, you own all the bonds, whatever that is, you're the ruling class. You're the capitalist class. That is not you. And that means that the working class is a much, much, much larger class than the ruling class. And this is where the propaganda comes in, and we'll address this later on. The propaganda tries to trick you into thinking that if you just allow the classes to exist the way they are, that one day you're going to rise up into the ruling class. And this sets the stage for why there's so many subdivisions within each class and why there's so much class conflict. Because it it makes the point where some people believe that they work hard enough, one day they would be a ruling or part of the ruling class. Yeah, this is the idea of pull yourself up by your bootstraps. The American dream is having your labor exploited, and at some point you'll eventually end up at the top somehow. doesn't really make a lot of sense, and we'll get into why. Uh, in the historical context, this conflict has been referred to as the proletariat, which is what we're calling the working class, and the bourgeoisie, which is a French word that basically means the ruling class. Uh, we're assigning these two modern-day terms, working class and ruling class, to their historical equivalents, proletariat and bourgeoisie. Bourgeoisie is a collective noun referring to the entire class, and bourgeois is an individual noun referring to an individual in the bourgeoisie, or it's used as an adjective. So you can say something like, that's bougie as fuck, uh, would mean that's something that would be associated with what a member of the bourgeoisie would possess. It's also used when someone gets out of pocket and tries to be in a class that they don't belong in, right? It could be in a bougie asshole, right? Because now now you're stepping outside of uh, the class that you represent a part of and you're trying to be something you're not. You know, it's, it's also the idea of keeping up with the Joneses, that internal class struggle where people that have made it or have a little bit more money within the working class begin to show off through purchases and, and buying and then it's it's basically in their best interest to fight any type of upward mobility of their neighbors because it means it could take away potentially from their wealth and you can up again end up with this class conflict that presents itself as you know uh inner class divide it presents itself as a way that you're just jealous of someone's money and things like that what this really means is that Somebody has made it, maybe you've made it, maybe neighbors have made it, beyond what's expected out of the class. And so they can begin to buy and have all the toys and have all the major debts and all the things they need to have like this this, this upper middle class existence. And what they end 
they tend to do then is to try to protect and preserve themselves. And that's where this class conflict comes in. And this actually starts to get into the, you know, terminology changes that we've seen uh, after the turn of the century. And that begins to examine this question, with, are there more than two classes? You previously alluded to the middle class and the upper class, just in your previous statement. These are constructs of the American economic system attempting to basically self-preserve. This is a ramification of capitalism. And it's a deconstruction of this working class versus ruling class concept that we started this whole episode off with. So what's important to remember is that there are always two classes, and any subdivision can be viewed from the context of there being two classes. But there's always a third class between these two classes, and we call those class traders, and capitalism creates these. So in your example, uh, it's the neighbor that does better than their expected outcome from whatever class position they're in. They have a good quarter, they go out, take on a bunch of debt, and now they have a boat. Instead of being part of their class, they are now suddenly attempting to be part of the other class. And instead of helping kind of everybody collectively, they bought a boat. They are class traders. So let's define what a class trader is. So what's a class trader? It's somebody that acts against the well-being of their own class. So you can think of it as a two-way street. You have individuals who support their uh, class. So you have workers who form in solidarity. You have capitalists who support other capitalists. And then you have individuals who maybe fight against their class. And so if you're rich, uh, but you harm your own class interests, then you are, your, in fact, a class trader. Can you work against your own capitalist interests by fighting other people uh, or fighting the, the idea of what capital is? And in short, probably not. Uh, because you take someone like Jeff Bezos, he's got, I think he's the richest man in the world now. Something like that. Yeah, his wealth is accumulated through old money. He's done a ton of investments. People have bought into his nonsense. But he only was able to accumulate that wealth through worker exploitation. So it's actually impossible for him to help the working class because he only exists because he exploits the working class. So he can never actually be a trader against his own class of people, the capitalists, by helping the worker. Unless he's being petty against somebody else that's another billionaire somewhere like he's just stutting on them or something they're buying up their companies and closing it but in the end it hurts the worker anyway so there's really no good example of how to be a a rich class trader unless you go into the fictional world of robin hood in which you know there's a wealthy landowner who steals money from other wealthy people which in that case isn't really being a class trader he's just preventing another group of wealthy people from overtaking him in power really it's self-serving i don't know how you know the a wealthy person can actually ever help the worker because they've only became wealthy through exploitation. So what you'd have to do is seize a company and then take all the employees that work for the company and make them owners of the company, and that's the only way that, that you could be a class trader. That re requires state intervention and state action, right? So, so the only way that we actually can have class traders of the wealthy is if some wealthy individual decides to form a government that is essentially planned ideology and seize all the wealth of all of the capitalists and then distribute that amongst the proletariat. In that case, they'd probably call them authoritarian, but really at the end of the day, the worker would actually do better. So you may actually consider it. Trump was in the position to do this. He could have absolutely fucked over Bezos, could have nationalized the Washington Post, split up Amazon, but he didn't. He didn't do it. He protected power. 
So could Trump be a class traitor? You know, he attacked Bezos on paper. He could have went after him, right? He, he, they had some feud with the Washington Post or one of the shitty rags that are out there. Trump made a bunch of boisterous insanity about how he's, you know, Bezos is an asshole, which he is, but whatever. And then he did nothing about it. But he could have had the IRS go after him. He could have seized all his wealth. He could have nationalized everything from the newspapers to Amazon. He could have said during the pandemic that Amazon was an essential, you know, manufacturing technology and seized all of it. He could do whatever he wanted to. And guess what Trump did? Nothing. Protected, he protected his own class. Of course he's not going to go after him. He pretends to, to make the the dumb on his side love him, but he really isn't doing anything against it. So this is the entire kind of idea behind the, the QAnon conspiracy bullshit, is that Trump is really working for the people, and he's just objectively not. Yeah, yeah, he's not. You know, there's this, this hope, this 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 messiah idea that you know trump has just got this facade that he's actually not a piece of shit but yeah i'm sorry he's just a piece of shit so you just kind of explained why there are no ruling class class traders because in order to be a member of the ruling class yes you have to be devoid of being a human being <laughs> for sure and you are basically incapable of detaching from your class status as a member of the working class if you want to be a class trader it's much easier and there's much more financial incentives so if you're a class trader of the working class, there's actually a persistent class with the name of petite bourgeoisie, which really just means small bourgeoisie. As a class trader of the working class, you don't ever actually ascend into the ruling class. It happens very infrequently because the ruling class watches their own. It's intended to be self-preserving. And this intermediate class created by the ruling class to separate the working class from the ruling class into this smaller intermediate small bourgeoisie class is purely derived from people willing to sell out their comrades in exchange for some level of economic security or some other desirable benefit so what are some examples of the petite bourgeoisie or the bootlicking class trader we got small business owners and you see them everywhere and this is the this is the shit that pisses me off that you should troll when you're on reddit and twitter else. anybody that says they're for a small business owner is basically for exploitation because they Basically, they have to take your excess in labor to make money for themselves. There's just no other way of doing it. So they're all mad during COVID lockdown because why? Because they can't exploit the $10 an hour painter who's in a house painting so they can make you know $20 an hour in profit. So small business owners, unless it's a course of cooperative or some ESOP, which is employee stock ownership program, something that's a little bit less insane as... Oh, I, I own 47 McDonald's. Look at me. I'm a small business owner. Eat shit. You're not. You're a liar. Exploitation capitalist. But you're also petite bourgeois because you actually don't own that much capital. You can't do much else because you own only the buildings and things with that. You can't actually do anything with your money. It's trapped within these nonsense assets that don't actually allow you to have any real control or governance except for controlling the lives of poor people because it's all trapped in, in capital because the ruling class has given you enough debt to make sure that you cannot ever escape that. You have a better life. Maybe you have a better boat. You have a bigger house. Fine. You have a 4,000 square foot house and you can pay for your kids' college. But are you actually a capitalist? No. You are just an upper, upper middle class asshole who's calling themselves, you know, oh, I'm a big badass in the community. But really, you're just exploiting the people of your own kind, your own neighbors. Oh, what else we got? We got uh, private lawyers who actually fight for corporate interests. So these are the people who find a way to sue small everyday people 
like small farmers from like Monsanto and make it so they can't resell the uh, seeds using a first principles or first sale principle. Right, you saw that or cross generation, which they have to pay for licensing of seeds that were cross germinated. Uh, you have private doctors practicing non-emergency or elective fields who are now doing everything they can to fight COVID restrictions, not because they believe in good science, but because it's hurting their profits. So you can't go in and get elective procedures, which is taken away from these surgeons making $500,000 a year. And the community bankers. We're talking about bankers. We're not, we're not talking about um, credit unions that are member-owned. We're talking about community bankers, these small banks or people that are investment firms or angel accounts or some dickheads that think that they control some sort of money that flows in our neighborhoods. We're going to come in and revitalize your community. And all that really does is pick some lucky asshole to take on more debt in the community. It doesn't actually help you grow. It just lets you be a debt service. So they can just keep piling on more and more debt within buildings that were useless beforehand because they gave you a small business loan or some nonsense like that, which means it's, again, more more just trapped workers who think that they're making it, but they're really not. So in all these examples, the key point is that a segment of the working class has decided that they want to create some entity in which they will exploit and extract wealth from other members of the working class. They improve their economic outlook by extracting this money from the working class. There's no added value. At the same time, they are unable to create wealth of their own without this exploitation. So they never rise to the level of being part of the ruling class. They can never get their dealerships. People own dealerships, right? They're always under debt service from the the big automotive entities. They can never, the person who owns a dealership can never take out money and go do something else because they're stuck doing Automotive debt services. Again, class traders. We just define the concept of a class trader. In every class divide, there are going to be class traders because the system of capitalism incentivizes it financially. This intermediate class of class traders will exist between working class and ruling class always. And this intermediate class is useful to the upper class because it creates a buffer between classes. And the neat part about it from the perspective of the ruling class is that members of the lower class exist in the intermediate class and they enforce a gating mechanism that prevents anybody from ascending from the lower class to the upper class. But the upper class doesn't actually have to manage this. It's delegated to the intermediate class that says, I'm better than you because I'm in this kind of middle where I'm a total fucking class trader. So whenever you see somebody in this class trader middle where they are very clearly a member of the working class, but they they have a fancy boat or they go to the cabin or they do some other activity that's beyond their financial means, you should judge them. You should think, what did you do to members of my class to allow you to do these perceived to be fun things like go boating or go to the cabin, which I don't partake in in any way, shape, or form or understand, but it might just be because I'm poor. (laughs) I stay in my house. That's all I got. Well, during COVID, yeah. Like, why would you interact with other people? But but before COVID, you had this this excess. uh, Instead of paying down your own debt, you would take on additional debt, which the capitalist class enjoys because it increases velocity of money. Without them doing anything. Right. 
right? I mean, the capitalist class wants you to take out debt, and it's always something in the mail for you to do it. And the only way to take out more debt is to be able to pay off more debt, which means you have to be able to have a better paying job, which means you're willing to sell your soul or sell out the worker in order to be able to take out more debt. How do you buy a bigger house? Make more money, which makes no sense, but you can effectively on paper pay more in debt. So you're always paying 30% off you know, of your income to a house. American dream, baby. And the, the petite bourgeoisie class is very willing to allow others in to the class so long as they don't ascend higher. So if you're, if you're a banker and somebody comes to you as a doctor and says, hey, I'd like to expand my practice. Oh, well, here's what we can do. We can lock you into this giant you know, reconstruction plan where we'll come in and charge you a million dollars to add another 2,000 square feet to your practice and we'll only pay workers $800,000. We'll scrape off that $200,000 and you can pay us debt that you need to pay off by exploiting people that come to your practice. And it's just all this symbiotic relationship of everybody exploiting everybody else and never actually exceeding the working class threshold and entering the ruling class. But that's by design. That's how it's supposed to work if you're looking at it from the perspective of the ruling class. Uh, another example of this is the institution of law enforcement, which we're very much seeing play out currently. Uh, a lot of the effective messaging recently with all the civil unrest was centered around this message of disbanding the institution of law enforcement because they really served to enforce the class divide. And then the compromise of defunding was what the Black Lives Matter uh, movement was all about pitching until it got absolutely co-opted by capital. And now nobody's talking about doing anything with the, the police or law enforcement or shooting black people in the back. And why we say that BLM has been co-opted is, is that there are now leaders who, quote unquote, founded Black Lives Matter, who are doing the media tour. They only now exist to be on the media circuit, which means they're being paid for it. Now, that means they're cashing out on a movement without actually adding any value to it. Go ahead and look at the Wikipedia pages. Go ahead and find the people that are on there. You know exactly what we're talking about. You'll see it. Not to mean that the members, the actual members who are on the street fighting and, and getting their ass kicked every day to fight the power are the ones cashing out. I'm talking about the individuals who put themselves on the wiki pages, who call themselves a leader, who are just exploiting each other. They are class traders. For capital. They are class traders through and through. They may not have started off as that, but now they've gotten a taste of what it needs to be in a higher va- or higher level of, the, of society with income or, or just class status. And they're willing to, to throw everything else away in order to maintain that status. That's just the way it is. Throughout this episode, we've talked about the two classes, which are the working class and the ruling class. And we've kind of alluded to there being other classes. In America, it's referred to as the middle class and the upper middle class. And then you have kind of this nebulous 1%. And those are really just all synonyms for the continuum of the class divide. In America, you don't typically see lower class ever stated because messaging wise you don't ever want to put somebody in the lower class because it's lower so we refer to middle class and upper middle class are the kind of two working class classes there are more than one class it's not ruling and worker there are divides within each of these and we've talked about the petite bourgeois and how between those two classes there's a middle class of class traders well, as the continuum expands and ranges from lower to middle to upper to whatever else, there are these class trader classes between each one of them. And a new term that's been used frequently 
uh, is the project management class or the PMC class. And you see this referred to mostly by the lab talking about shitlib campaign managers that run DC think tanks that run campaigns of like Amy McGrath who lose. That's really kind of a, a false statement of what the project management class is. Uh, so we're going to define it. And regardless of what other people think, this is how we're defining it. The project management class is the intermediate class between the working class and the petite bourgeoisie. Absolutely. The project management class oversees workers without directly benefiting from the output. And this is a subtle difference between what the petite bourgeois does, which is continue to exploit workers and reap the benefits of it. But this project management class, while exploiting workers, it doesn't directly receive the benefits of that labor, but they do receive higher wages and generally have to do less work. So there is some benefit to to being a class trader in this regard that has, I'm going to say, relatively little downside. And we're going to talk about why that is. Yeah, so the, the project manager class, professional manager class, are just managers, right? They don't do really any work. They're middle management. They sit around and just tell you what to do without actually adding any value. So what's the downside for them? Nothing. Maybe a little bit of stress. They got to fire people, hire people, whatever. But in the end of the day, they just sit above the class and hold their head underwater when they try to breathe. They're the ones that are in charge of whether or not you get a promotion. Did you do enough? Are you worth enough to the company? Right? They basically are the talking points of the corporate stooges that you hear every single day. Right? The idea that you need to take, you know, you don't have vacation time or um, were you really sick? Do we have to bring in more training? Right? They're the ones that write you up. If you work in manufacturing, they're the ones that are on the line with you. So what are some of the good examples of the PMC? So this is, again, the line between the petite bourgeoisie and the proletariat, right? These are the ones that are doing the bidding of the, of the capitalists through what the needs of the petite are into you, right? These are that middle, middle manager layer, right? These are things like project managers. They sit, they manage a project, they may be in construction. So what do they do at the construction site? They tell trades what to do all day. Could be plant supervisors. What do they do? They make sure that you are hitting your times, right? They're doing continuous improvements and making sure you're hitting your cycle times. They're not making sure that your ergonomics are correct or that you're having a good day. Their job is to make sure that you're creating the parts that are needed so that when they sell them to the customer, they can get all the benefits from it. They are exploiting your labor. Uh, general contractors, again, talk about the project manager idea. They just sit there and they hire in people, but their job is to, I guess, arrange other types of work. But really, they've done nothing to earn that work. They're just exploiting your labor because they're the they're the gateway to the job, right? So everybody here is just a middle layer that adds really no value to anything. Now, people will argue that they add all types of value, but I'm going to argue I'm going to say they don't because at some point in time, you can just keep cutting out the middle layer and you just have a direct contact between the plant manager and yourself, and you probably don't need a plant supervisor. You probably don't need that extra line there. So we're not saying that these jobs don't need to exist because for the most part, the only value they add is this idea of central planning. But the component that is unnecessary is that they centrally plan the exploitation. So each of these jobs is important. You need to have somebody that's coordinating the receipt of a pallet and that pallet needs to be made available to the people making the plates, which means that you have to have somebody coordinate when the clay from the clay pit is being packaged on a pallet to be shipped to the plate makers. That all needs to occur. It all needs to be centrally planned. But what doesn't need to happen is that the people doing these jobs do not need to have elevated status where they get to rule over a separate class of people, the workers, 
where they get better compensation but add very little value beyond this ability to do central planning, which should be happening anyway. Yes. Any of these managerial central planning jobs don't produce more than a worker. It's a collective activity that's needed for everybody to succeed. But capitalism rewards the manager more. And you see this, you know, in the way that promotions are given out, right? So if you're a, if you're in the technical fields, you if you don't manage somebody, you get held back. Absolutely. All the time. And it's because there's a perception that you controlling the means of production or you controlling the central planning is actually more beneficial than what the worker does. But we know that that's not true. It can't be true. Because without the worker, there is no PMC. And without the PMC, there is no petite bourgeois. And without the petite bourgeois, there is no capitalist. So in the end of the day, you are the base and foundation of the world and all these other layers just taking and exploiting you. Think about, you know, think of it in the in the context in which, you know, every layer above you has to exploit more and more and more in order to get stuff out of you, right? In order to be productive, or in order for them to make money, they have to extract so much labor that they can pay for the middle layer and the upper middle layer and then the CEO level and then the sh- uh, shareholders, right? So think about how many layers there are of non-production that, that need to extract value for you from you in order for it to be successful. And the weird sort of nuance with the project management class is that there's an incentive to join it. The PMC class exists due to material conditions. As a worker, the stresses of society encourage you to reach the next level, which requires being a class trader. And this is the magic of capitalism. The system creates an incentive whereby these intermediate class trader classes exist and people have no choice but to attempt to enter them so that they can survive. The material conditions generate this feedback loop of classes existing and then subdividing and then having another layer of bureaucracy. And the important thing to note is that at no point does the worker receive any benefit from any of the class division or any of the class trading. Right. It's a divide and conquer scenario, right? The, the more that we have divided workers, the easier it is to conquer us. The result of this discussion is that we need a couple of things. One is we need class traders at the top. And the only way to get there is for people to put their head down and drive what they can to become the leaders and ultimately become the class traders. And what does that mean when you get to the top or you become petite bourgeois? It means giving anybody you can a raise, right? Don't work them overtime. Do everything you can to make the worker's life better. Which also means things like if a union begins to form, you don't really put up resistance. You help to form that union secretly, okay? There is a need for individuals to climb the corporate ladder to the top, become class traders against their own kind, to fight for the worker within the corporate structures, to not prevent unions, but to support union membership, to secretly grow that list as much as they can. We need champions in the corporate sphere that are fighting for the workers at all times. And the only way to do that is to have an actual knowledge of what the classes are and to be very deliberate about it. Instead of exploiting workers, figure out how to increase their benefits, climb the ladder to the top, then help others climb too. So you got to be a class hero. Not a class trader. For future episodes and to learn more about the worker movement, join us at workermovement.com.